Well, 1 Timothy 4 says that we should, we should watch our life and doctrine. And so in terms of being Christian men, we, we want to do great things as Christian men, right? We want to have, live fruitful lives. And that starts by watching our life and our doctrine. If we can do that, watch our life and our doctrine, we will do great things for God. Maybe not great in the way the world looks at it, but we will live fruitful lives for the kingdom and the glory of God. And so <clears throat> we've been trying to break that down a little bit in terms of managing our life well. Uh, that's part of watching your life, managing it well, managing your character well, uh, managing your time well. Uh, in May, we're going to be talking about managing your heart, your devotional life, and your purity well. And this morning, uh, Luke Erisman is going to talk to us about managing our finances well. You know, there's a lot of parables in the New Testament about um, a servant managing the, the assets of his master. And so Luke is going to talk to us about that. And uh, Luke is a good person to do that. Um, Luke came to us many years ago as a graduate student at North Carolina State, and he never left us. And that's wonderful that uh, he stayed here. Uh, he got married, and he has a family, and he's a faithful man. You know, one of the things we try to stress in men's ministry is God's called us to be faithful men. And, and Luke is a faithful man. Um, he's, a, he's a deacon in our church. He's the deacon of children's ministry. He's also on the, uh, the FAB, the Financial Advisory Board. So he gives counsel to the elders and to the church in financial matters. He's also led and helped teach uh, our discipleship series on personal finances. He's a small business owner, and um, he's just a great guy. So let's welcome him as he comes. And one thing I wanted to mention, too, um, we're going to have a, a time of questions and answers afterwards. If you have any questions or on personal finances, so if you have them, write them down, and we'll, we'll do that at the end. Well, we'll have questions. I'm not sure if I'll have the answers. but <laughs> All right. Um, give me just a second here. I'm a nerd, and so I wanted to make full use of technology. So hopefully this pays out. Plan pans out well. Um, tried to have this all set up, but then I closed my computer. Is it uh, the Cornerstone Fellowship or is it uh, Sovereign Grace, the Apple TV? Okay. There we go. Um. I was supposed to have a presentation over here. Hmm. If you don't have a handout, there's some in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I apologize. <laughs> I work with computers for a living. Um, <laughs> this actually makes me feel really good. <laughs>
notes up. Technology is a wonderful tool when it works. All right. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've uh, done a lot of uh, reading and research and uh, praying and um, reading scripture as I was preparing for this. And um, I am I'm overwhelmed with the amount of um, the amount that the Bible speaks about money and our personal finances. Um, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages, um, and more than I can reference in this talk, and so that's part of why I did the handout. Um, that's only a small fraction of them as well, um, but uh, the handout is five pages of Bible verses that speak about money, and they're roughly organized uh, in the presentation that I'm going to be giving today as well, so um, you can kind of follow along, and I'll be referencing some of them, but more of them than I can reference. So um, if you don't have a handout, um, grab one of those. So let me ask this. What is your first reaction when you hear the word budgeting? Um, is it deer in the headlights? Um, maybe you're more like this guy. Um, what's that? What'd you say? I, I don't hear anything. Uh, just pretend it's not there. Um, or maybe this guy. <laughs> um, well, I don't know that one talk on money on a Saturday morning is going to change this type of a visceral reaction that you have to budgeting. Um, and frankly, that's not my goal here today. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit broader than just budgeting. Um, we're going to talk about your attitude and perspective on money, why God cares about that and why it matters to you, um, and why it matters to what, what we're talking about in this series. So Mike asked me to speak as part of this ongoing series in 1 Timothy 4, which says, watch your life and doctrine closely. And our finances are a big part of our life. <clears throat> um, so in preparing for today's talk, um, like I said, I surveyed hundreds of verses in the Bible. And one overarching category that I saw about all of them, um, they all related to this, is that your perspective on money reveals your heart. And that's really what uh, I want to drive home today. Your perspective on money reveals your heart. And that's why it matters. Um, Jesus boiled it, down to, uh, boiled it down for us in Luke when he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we're going to keep coming back to this verse today. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's going to be our focus. Where is your heart? We're going to go through four heart attitudes that God is working on um, we're going to go through four heart attitudes that God is working on in us um, through our finances. Um, integrity, generosity, wisdom, and faith. And we're going to uh, see a bunch of scriptures that speak to each of those. Um, we're also going to spend a fair bit of time at the end, um, uh, probably about half of the talk actually, is going to be uh, spent on some practical application of this. Uh, I'm going to be talking about three aspects of this in your, in your life, of how you can apply these things to your life. Um, and I, I believe Mike said that there's going to be a Q&A at the end, um, so we'll leave some time for that. Let's go, to, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time of fellowship among brothers. Um, thank you for the, the coffee and the donuts that were provided this morning. Um, I pray that my words this morning would encourage and inspire us to use our finances for your glory. Um, I pray that our motives would be revealed. I pray that our hearts would be changed. I pray that you would bless our time and be glorified in what we do here today. 
In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. The first art heart attitude that God is working in us is integrity. Now, let me give you a little bit of a background for me. Um, my brain works in outline form, so you're going to have to suffer through that. Um, and uh, so I'm going to be presenting this kind of an outline form, so hopefully this would help me. I hope this helps you. Um, so the first sub-point under <laughs> point one <laughs> is do not be selfish or greedy. Um, this is part of our integrity. Luke chapter 12, verses, um, uh, verses 13 to 14 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, meaning Jesus, uh, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to him, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, that one, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Greed is wanting more and more. And covetousness is a form of greed, uh, wanting what your brother has. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's wanting what his brother has. Um, he's coveting it. He's greedy for it. And it can lead to selfishness, hoarding, and not being generous, which are all things that the Bible commands us to do, to be generous, to not be selfish, to not hoard, um, to be generous. And there's plenty of passages in the Bible that command us to do this. Now, to be clear, there's a difference between being Scrooge McDuck um, and having a healthy savings plan. Um, Proverbs 6.6, 6, for example, does tell us to consider the ant. He plans and saves for winter. There's, there's a place for saving. Um, there's a place for planning. And it's even uh, all through Proverbs, it's advised. Um, but watch your heart so that this doesn't turn into greed and selfishness. There's actually a fine line between stewardship and being stingy. Um, and that's the line that we need to uh, be careful of. And I think that line is where your heart lies. What is your motives behind why you are saving this money? Are you being greedy or are you being um, wise and a wise steward of the, of the finances? So why does God care that we not be covetous or greedy? Greed reveals the discontent in your heart. Think about it. Um, what is greed? Greed is wanting something that you don't have. It shows that you either don't trust God to provide or you're not content with what God has provided. Um, and it reveals idols in your heart. An idol can be anything that you put in your life that's more important than God. So greed is a way to, recognizing greed in your life is a way to reveal these heart motives in your life. Okay, second subpoint: um, Be faithful and honest. This is part of your integrity. Um, and we're commanded to do this uh, all through Scripture. Uh, for example, uh, Luke, 10, uh, Luke 16, 10 to 12. Now, I know the first three verses that I've put up here are all in the book of Luke, and you might think he's showing favoritism here. Um, Luke is a wonderful book, and uh, it just so happened. I didn't even notice that until I was reading through my outline later. Um, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I will be going through other places in Scripture, I promise. So Luke 16 says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with that which, with, which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now sin is often a very slippery slope. You get comfortable with the sin and you justify it in your mind. Um, and this can lead to another sin, and another, and another. 
Um, and if you've gotten comfortable with being selfish and greedy, like we talked about in the first point, if you've gotten comfortable with that sin in your life, it's a fairly easy step to justify dishonest gain. Um, it's just a little bit more. You might say, Walmart's a massive corporation. They won't miss this one thing as you slip it under your coat. Or as an employer, you might say, so-and-so isn't performing that well. And so as you round down their hours when you entered into payroll. Or at a restaurant, you may notice the waitress left an item off of your receipt. And you might say, I eat here all the time. I'll just consider it a loyalty discount. Um, these are all parts of being faithful and honest and um, part of dishonest gain, honestly. Um, in contrast, God calls us to be above reproach. Be faithful steward of whatever God has entrusted to you. The laborer deserves his wages and be honest in all your dealings. Okay, third, be content. Paul speaks about this in Philippians 4, 12 to 13. For I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Through his other letters, we also know of other examples of Paul. Paul is a great example of this. He was thrown into prison unfairly, yet he worshipped God and was singing praises. He was beaten and stoned, yet he continued with his mission. He was stuck at sea in a terrible storm with provisions running out, and yet he had faith that God would rescue them. He would have faith for deliverance. In all of these circumstances, how is it that Paul was able to remain content? It wasn't willpower. It wasn't that he had a good savings plan or a good stock portfolio. The key is in verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. His hope was in God, not the things of this world. His perspective was upward. This is a good example for us. It's easy to get caught up in the daily grind and have a horizontal perspective, looking at things around us. Um, it's kind of like Peter when he stepped out of the boat. Um, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked to the wind and the waves, he started to sink. The secret to being content is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, we, we just sung that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That's the point of that song. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The secret to being content is to keep your eyes on Jesus. But what does it mean to keep your eyes on Jesus? I mean, that's a great Christian phrase. But what does that mean to keep your eyes on Jesus? If you trust in Christ, your greatest need was satisfied at the cross when he conquered death on your behalf. Your greatest source of wealth is that you have been made right with God. This is something that moth and rust cannot destroy. Paul placed his contentment in that eternal truth, and so should we. All right, my second point is generosity. The Bible commands us to help those in need. So a good example of this is James one twenty seven. He says, religion, is pure, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now here, James is specifically talking about how to spend your time, not your money. But I believe the same principle applies to our finances. And in the handout, actually, I've listed a bunch of other references that back this up. The whole book of James, in fact, is about putting your faith into action. Don't just say that you're a follower of Christ. Do what he did. A significant part of Jesus' earthly ministry was visiting the poor, bringing them hope through the gospel and healing them. 
And in this society, the widows and the orphans represented the most vulnerable and those who could not provide for themselves. So James here is saying, look out for the vulnerable. Take action and help those with their physical needs. We all remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan was the one that took action when he saw someone in need. This was a practical demonstration of loving your neighbor. As a church, we're called to take care of the vulnerable among us, among us as well. But, <clears throat> excuse me, um, as a church, we're called uh, to take care of the vulnerable among us. But as individuals, our hearts are revealed in how you think about this. Um, if a need presents itself to you personally, how do you respond? Now, a few years back, Ray and Carla taught a class on the book, When Helping Hurts. Um, this was an excellent class. I went through it. I highly recommend um, listening to those recordings. I believe they're recorded. Um, or just get the book and read it. Um, it's good to keep in mind that there are harmful ways to help, too. Um, so giving $20 to a drug addict is not necessarily the best way to help him in that situation. So we need to be wise about how we help. But we are called to, be, to help and to be generous with our money. Um, don't, use, don't use this as an excuse to not help. There, we are called to help and to help those in need. Okay, second, give to your local church. Now, there are many passages in Scripture that talk about giving to the church, and I've listed several in the handout again, Um, but a question can remain, why should I give to the church? What are they going to do with it? Well, it turns out I'm a member of the Financial Advisory Board. I can actually answer that question for our church. Um, So I want to give you, um, there's a lot of things that our church does with with the money that you give. Um, but I wanted to list six here that I, that I came up with. Um, first, and this is, um, I believe this is the largest portion of our budget, rightly so. Um, it uh, allows our elders to develop them, devote, themselves, devote themselves to full-time work. So staffing. Uh, we, it, your contributions allow our elders to full-time devote to their ministry. Um, Galatians 6.6 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. We are blessed every Sunday with solid expositional preaching, and each sermon is delivered in an hour, but it takes many, many hours, sometimes weeks of preparation. Us giving to the church allows us to pay our elders a salary so that they can focus their full-time energy on this, rather than splitting focus, having to have a full-time job, and then doing this on the side. Um, there's benefit to, uh, to us as a congregation to have our elders being, having their full attention given to, to the ministry of the church. Um, this is right and good. Um, oops. Second, yes, sorry. Um, the second thing that the church does with, with our finances is uh, to take care of those among us. Um, so you may not be aware of this, but we have an alms fund uh, in the church. Um, Dave Burnett is in charge of our benevolence ministry. Um, and this fund is often used to help pay for medical expenses, unexpected repairs, all kinds of needs that arise within our church. Um, this is our practical way of helping the orphan and the widow um, in our church. And so we actually have a fund dedicated to that. And so some of your money goes to that, but you can also contribute to that directly. Um, if you go to the church center, um, you can give one time or even regularly to just directly to the alms fund um, to indicate that, that that's how you would like it to be used. Um, another way that the church uses the money is to minister to our community. So we actually give money um, to other ministries around the area. Western Weight Crisis Ministry, Hand of Hope, With Love from Jesus, among many others. Uh, we also support ministries around the world, Acts 29, um, Trans World Radio. Um, so we support those ministries as well. 
Um, another um, place your money goes is this facility. Um, it takes money and resources to, uh, to keep this place running and, and to pay for it. And this is a wonderful tool that God has given us to minister to, uh, to us, like that we can gather here this morning. If we didn't have this facility, this would be a hard meeting to have. Um, and so this is a, a tangible um, way that we can uh, uh, use, use our finances to support uh, the ministry. Um, and then also, we also support our denomination, Trinity Fellowship Churches, um, and also um, domestic church planning efforts. So there's all kinds of things that giving to the church, it splits up among all these things, and there's many others as well um, that our church does with this money. So one of the questions you might ask is, tithe? Am I, is the tithe required? Um, so there are many passages in scripture that talk about tithe. Um, Merriam-Webster defines it as to pay a tenth part of, especially for the support of a religious establishment or organization. Now today we often use tithe to mean just giving anything to the church, but it literally means 10% to the church. So is 10% a command for today? There's some discussion about that, whether it's an actual commandment uh, to give in scripture, and I'm going to take a cop-out answer. I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question. But we're having a Q&A at the end, so feel free to ask John uh, if you have that question. <laughs> um, he would be happy to answer that for you. But I can say that Bible, the Bible does speak very much often about, um, strongly and frequently, about being generous, and God blesses a generous heart. So the, the idea of giving to the church is very much supported in Scripture. Um, personally, I do believe giving 10% to the local church is a great starting point. Um, one thing that I wanted to, one quote that I wanted to share with you that has stuck with me, um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, um, I, I'm sure I've brought this quote up many times. Anytime anybody talks with me about finance and giving, I bring up this quote. Um, this has shaped my mind um, in how I think about giving and generosity. He says, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe, way, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those in the same income as our own, we're probably going, giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because of our charitable, our charitable expenditures exclude them. Now this isn't gospel, um, but this is a really good framework to keep in mind. Um, I've found it helpful, a helpful framework for myself. And this really gets to the heart of the matter. It takes a personal sacrifice to give up things. And that's good for us. It's good to make a habit of giving things in order to be generous, giving up things in order to be generous. Giving is a practical way to fight against greed, selfishness, and covetousness in your own heart. On the note of giving to the church, um, just a little side note. Um, uh, this is uh, something that someone recommended to me, and I'd, I'd never thought of it before. Um, uh, he recommended uh, in, including the church in your will. Um, so if you are filling out your will at some point, it's not something we like to think about, um, but consider um, giving part of your estate to, uh, to the church. Um, something to keep in mind. All right, third, um, it's not about quantity, it's about your heart. Now this goes hand in hand with the first two points in generosity, um, giving to those in need and giving to your local church. And Jesus makes this point in Mark 12, 41 to 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he said to his disciples, 
And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing in the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has given everything that she had, all that she had to live on. What point is Jesus trying to make here? Clearly the large sums of money would have been more valuable to the treasury. More could have been done with those large checks. So what does Jesus mean when he says that what the widow contributed is more? He's looking at her heart, and he sees that she didn't have much, but out of her love and devotion, she wanted to contribute as an act of worship. Her heart moved Jesus more than those large checks did. I'll remind us again of Luke 12, Luke twelve thirty four: For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. She was investing what little she had in the kingdom because that was where her heart was invested. Her faith and confidence rested in God and his kingdom, not in the two copper coins. Now, this is a good lesson for us. You might be a high school student working a few hours a week at Chick-fil-A. 10% of that paycheck may not be a large quantity of money. That 10% is hard-earned. I I worked at McDonald's. I know that's a hard-earned 10%. Um, Those are hard-working hours. But God uses that contribution and your heart in investing in it, in his kingdom. Now, on the flip side, you may have a high-paying job and, and a large income. I think there's warning for this person, too. Don't be haughty with your contribution. Examine your heart when you give. Are you thinking, boy, the church, the church would sure have a hard time without my contribution? God is more concerned with your heart than the quantity of money that you're giving. Why? Well, that leads us to the next point. God doesn't need your money. Um, God created the entire universe by speaking words. I think he can accomplish his will without your contribution, big or small. Psalm 50, 10 to 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. But why then does the Bible speak so much about being generous and helping those in need? He has chosen to spread his kingdom through the church. He wants us to participate in in this mission, not just to sit back and watch it unfold. He takes pleasure in this, in our participation in his ministry. For the sake of today's talk, the reason that I want to emphasize, though, is that it gives us a tangible way to be invested in the kingdom. Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, my third point, wisdom. The third heart attitude is wisdom. Now first, before anything else, um, there is wisdom in being wary of accumulating wealth in the first place. Remember the parable of the sower? A man sowed seeds, some were eaten by birds, some fell on rocky soil, some among thorns, some on fertile ground. But when Jesus is interpreting this for his disciples, he says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke up the word, and it proves unfruitful. When the Bible speaks about wealth and the rich, it's usually with warning. However, it's not because of the wealth itself. In fact, there are plenty of promises that God will provide abundantly. I mean, Look at the promises that God made to Israel when they entered the promised land. He promised it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. This was a promise of above and beyond what you need, um, abundance. Um, Solomon himself, he started off great, um, but he was led astray by his abundance. 
Um, but that abundance was originally a blessing from God because of Solomon's humility to ask for wisdom. So God blesses with abundance. The wealth itself is not cautioned against. Notice what Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches. Once wealth is accumulated, it ha- can be very tempting to get comfortable and lose focus. A little bit later in Matthew, Jesus also says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now don't miss the grace here as well. He follows that up immediately with, with, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Christians through the ages have responded to these warnings in many different ways. Some have taken a vow of poverty, lived lives as hermits or monks, given up all modern comforts. Um, a personal um, role model of mine, Rich Mullins, he worked out an arrangement with his elders at his church to manage all the profits from his tours and albums. He gave, they gave Rich an average salary, and they gave the rest to charity. Um, and as, also, as we mentioned, Solomon himself was not cautious towards the end, and he was led astray by his many wives and his riches. The warning here for us is not necessarily to avoid money altogether, but to be wary and cautious about money. Guard your heart against its deceitfulness, and remember that God is the one who provides. Now, second, be wise with wealth. So once you have wealth, once you've accumulated it in the first place, be wise with what you do have. Um, Proverbs 27, 23 says, Know the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds and give attention to your herds. Also, Proverbs 21, 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but foolish man devours it. In short, know the state of your finances and wealth, and don't spend everything as soon as you get it. This is where budgeting comes in handy. Now, I'm sorry, did I just cause that visceral reaction in you when I said the word? Um, but, um, but really, first, budgeting is just taking stock of your resources and making a plan for what to do with those resources. It's a very biblical concept. Without a plan, money will slip through your, your fingers without even realizing it, like this second proverb listed here. Now, to be clear, I am a budgeting nerd, Um, it's probably not a surprise to many of you. I love spreadsheets. I love making numbers work out. I find it fun. Um, And if you're like me, that's great. Um, But that's not what I'm talking about here. You don't have to be a budgeting nerd like me and geek out on spreadsheets to to follow these proverbs. Um, It can be as simple as making a very high-level plan of this year, I want to do this with my money. Um, That is a budget, technically. Um, It can be high level like that. But give some thought to it. The point here is giving forethought. The wisdom is that you're giving forethought to this and not just devouring all your treasure and oils as it comes through your dwelling. Uh, Make a plan and execute it. It's the fact that you give some prayerful forethought to it. Um, This is what it means to be a good steward. Next, be wise with debt. The Bible also speaks fairly often about debt. it, it's surprising how often it does. Um, Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Now, there can be a time for debt, and it is a tool that can be used wisely. Um, but it is certainly a very slippery slope. Especially today, uh, with easy credit and payday loans, it's very easy to get credit and to get loans. Um, the thing to remember is that debt is giving up future freedom to get something today. That's exactly what this proverb was talking about. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower, excuse me, the borrower is the slave to the lender. It's giving up future freedom to get something today. You really are a slave to the lender in a very real way. You're giving up freedom and you're obliged to pay it back later. 
and there's consequences if you don't pay it back later. Um, now, in the practical application part, I'm going to talk a little bit more about debt, so I'm going to move on from that. The, um, the next part, under, I put this under wisdom, is pay your taxes. Um, now, this one I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, but I did feel like I needed to include it just because the, the Bible, actually, when I was surveying all these scriptures, it was surprising how often the Bible tells us to pay your taxes. Um, Romans 13.7 says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, don't get me wrong, I do think there's a place for civil disobedience, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. I think he's referencing the idea mentioned earlier in the previous chapter in Romans, in Romans 12, when he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Just Jesus himself said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I think Paul and Jesus both knew very well that those taxes would be used both for good and evil. But God has put governments and authority over us, and we are here told to pay our taxes. I'm going to move on from that point. The fourth and final point um, in, in this part is that um, the fourth attitude that God is working in us is faith. Trust in God to provide money. To, to, sorry, let me start that over. Trust in God to provide for you, not in your money. The temptation when you have money is to just relax and believe that you have everything under control. The temptation when you don't have money is to think that money will solve all of your problems. Or you might float in between these two temptations if you have a variable income. One week it's, it's feasting and the next it's a famine. Um, in, in all these situations, the temptation is to put our trust in money. But what does Jesus say? Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Therefore do not be anxious about anything. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is a good reminder to examine our hearts. Do a bit of introspection. If you're retired, ask yourself, what would be my first thought if the market crashed today and three-fourths of my savings was wiped out? If you're a student preparing for a future career, ask yourself, how would you respond if before you graduate, the job market shifts and nobody has needs of your skills anymore? If you're a homeowner, ask yourself, what would be my reaction if I lost my house today? These questions are intended to reveal your heart and where you have placed your faith. This actually would be a great discussion point for uh, your next men's meeting uh, in your home group. Um, but remember what Jesus has said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We should, we should be asking the Holy Spirit to search us and to reveal these things to us, where we need to change and grow. The fool mentioned in so many Proverbs doesn't do this, and this is part of what it means to watch our life closely. All right, so there we have it. Four heart attitudes that God is working in us through our finances. Um, the next part I'm going to go through is, uh, I've got three points of practical application that I want to, to talk about. Now, I'm going to shift gears here, and we are firmly entering into the realm of the subjective. Um, so on many of these topics, there's a wide range of views, and um, I'm going to give you some, some options that, have, that seem wise to me, um, and some that I have strived to apply these principles in my life, but take them all with a grain of salt. So these are not gospel truth here. Um, but let's talk about these three areas of application. Lifestyle, debt, and giving. 
first, lifestyle. <clears throat> when you're looking at your finances, there are really only two variables that you can tweak. Earn more or spend less. Um, increase your income or decrease your lifestyle. So we often jump to, I need to make more money, but don't neglect the power of spending less. Um, this is one that you often have the most control over. Now, going into this section on lifestyle spending, I want to acknowledge that there are exceptional circumstances here. Overwhelming medical expenses, uh, being laid off from your job, any number of reasons why your expenses may outpace your income. Um, but that, again, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm talking about, when I refer to decreasing your lifestyle, I'm talking about the stereotypical middle-class American lifestyle, especially what you see when you're driving around in this area with all the subdivisions coming up with nice homes. Um, the path to this lifestyle may seem expected and inevitable, and even a goal to achieve. When I bought my first home, the, the lawn was dead. Um, it was not green. I contacted a lawn care company to help me bring it back. Um, they sent me a questionnaire, um, and in that questionnaire, they wanted to kind of figure out how I was going to use the lawn, what, what my purposes were for contacting them. Um, so they had a bunch of different options that I could check off. Um, I just lost my place here, sorry. Um, on, on this list of reasons, they had reasons like um, to have a, a greener lawn than my neighbors, or um, to, to, I want people to stop and stare at my lawn when they're walking by the house. I was like, where's the option that I don't want to walk in mud? <laughs> this, this concept is often called uh, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, but I don't like that phrase. For one, I know and respect a lot of Joneses. Um, <laughs> And for another, it can happen without comparing yourself to others. Um, I actually like to call this lifestyle bloat. Um, in our culture today, it's very easy to accumulate bigger and better things without even realizing it. Um, and you don't have to be comparing yourself to other people to make this happen. Um, everything that you bring into your life has a cost. And I'm not just talking about the, the purchase cost. There's ongoing maintenance, there's replacement cost, there's time invested in that thing. It has a cost and is going to be a part of your life. Um, once you get used to a certain lifestyle, that thing can become a need in your life, and there's future costs to maintain that lifestyle. This idea is, called, is what I call lifestyle bloat. And I'm 40 years old now, I've seen this in my own life, that you just accumulate things. It, like, it feels like we're trying to get rid of stuff all the time, and there's more stuff coming into the house than I'm, than I'm getting rid of. It's amazing how this happens. Um, but um, preventing lifestyle bloat does take real effort. Um, and when you decide to upgrade something, consider why. What's your motive for upgrading this thing? Is that extra TV going to bring your family closer or split you into separate rooms in the evening? Just because you can, just because you can afford it doesn't mean you should bring it into your life. Now, um, now to be clear, again, I'm not passing judgment on two, two TV households. It's just a simple illustration for my point. And also, to be clear, I'm not saying don't buy nice things. I am saying consider everything, every upgrade that you bring into your life as an upgrade to your lifestyle and count the true cost of it before bringing it into your life. Ask, why do I want to buy this? What's, is there a good reason? Can I afford it today? Can I afford the maintenance? Can I afford to replace it in four, year, four years when it breaks and I've gotten used to it and I can't live without it? But also examine your heart as to why you want this thing. Does this purchase help my life be full of integrity, generosity, wisdom, and faith. Now, don't take this so far that you're standing in Target having a spiritual crisis over replacing your coffee maker. Um, but do be careful. 
So funny story about that. Um, when I was in college, I bought a cheap uh, Mr. Coffee coffee maker. Um, I mean, I probably spent 10 or 15 bucks on the thing. And I had that thing until last year. That thing would not die <laughs> to, to my chagrin. So interestingly, it did, it did stop working one day. Um, and my wonderful, very thrifty wife man knew that I loved my morning coffee, and she managed to repair it and fix it not knowing that I was waiting for it to die so that I could replace it guilt-free. Um, anyway, we went, ahead, we went ahead and replaced the coffee maker. We realized, just replace the coffee maker, it's fine. <laughs> so, um, no deep illustration there. That was just a funny side point. Um, what I do mean is, is be careful. Uh, greed and selfishness and covetousness can sneak into your life unexpectedly. Uh, through the lifestyle, especially here in our American culture. It, we're saturated in it, um, and it can happen without you realizing it. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Okay, the second point that I want to go through is debt. Um, the Bible speaks a lot about debt, and it's mostly warnings. Um, the one passage that I want to linger on is Proverbs 22.7, the borrower is the slave to the lender. Our culture today makes debt relatively easy. It's pretty easy to finance something at 0% interest for 12 months or four easy payments of $49.99. Now, these can be helpful tools, um, but don't be fooled by what's going on here. This is a marketing tactic that diverts your attention from the actual cost of the thing that you're wanting to buy. You're thinking, oh, I can afford $4.99 a month, That's easy, or $49.99 a month, that's easy. Or if you're financing a car, they'll show you the monthly payment they rarely will show you the actual purchase cost. And you think, oh, I can afford that in my monthly, uh, monthly budget. But how much is that going to cost you over the next five years, six years? Um, and how much in interest is that going to cost you rather than paying cash for it? Um, now, if you're just getting started in life, I do suggest that you try to, offer, try, try to foster a debt-free life. Um, it is possible. Um, Usually, when people talk about debt-free life, they usually mean debt-free except for mortgage. Um, but um, it, it is possible. It, it does mean sacrifices, and it does, it does mean hard, and it's not right for everybody and for every situation. Um, I will say also, um, it, it takes a mentality of, of um, saving up for things and paying cash up front. Um, and on, actually, I will say too, once you get into that habit, um, you can have a your own line of credit, like have a, a savings account that you just start, you pay monthly into and you're paying to yourself and then when you need something, you don't have to save up for that thing, you've already saved for it without realizing you were saving for it. So um, paying those payments to yourself ahead of time, if you're gonna make payments anyway, you may as well pay it to yourself and earn interest rather than paying interest, right? So it just takes some mentality, a shift in mentality to, to do this. And it takes self-control um, to not spend that pile of cash that you have. Um, but it is liberating uh, if you can get into that mentality. And this is easier, I will say, if, if you're younger, um, if you're just getting started off in life, um, it, it's much easier to do this. If you, are, if you do find yourself in a place that you have a lot of consumer debt and you want to pay it all off, it is often possible. It may seem overwhelming, but it is often possible. Um, it may require adjusting your lifestyle and probably eating beans and rice for a few years. Um, I, I know a guy who was in more debt than he was comfortable with, and so uh, he realized he just needed to change his lifestyle. And so he sold his house, and he moved his six-person family into a fi an 800-square-foot house for three years. Um, and uh, it took a lot of lifestyle adjustment to make that happen. Um, 
but he made that sacrifice. He was able to pay off all of his debt, and then he was able to buy a house that he could afford and start off a little bit more in control. Um, so these are possible, but it will, I'm not going to lie to you, it does take lifestyle changes, um, but it can happen. Now, one thing I do want to recommend, um, Dave Ramsey has a book, Total Money Makeover, um, and he actually has a, a class, uh, Financial Peace University, um, that uh, I've never gone through the class, but I did read this book, um, which really changed my perspective on money in my mid-20s. Um, now, I will say, you have to take a lot of Dave's advice with a grain of salt. Um, so he has made a massive business around giving financial advice, which always makes me skeptical. Um, however, um, he does seem to give solid advice, especially in this book, um, and, and a lot of his advice does seem to be uh, very solid. Um, in this book, he has a seven-step plan outlined for getting out of debt, um, and I can say it works. I, I followed it, and it works. Um, in my mid-20s, I had some debt, um, enough that I was starting to feel like a slave to the lender, and I realized before I got married, I wanted to get out of debt. Um, and so I read this book, um, and it helped me within a few years I was able to, to get out of debt uh, by using this plan. So I do recommend this if you do find yourself in that situation or uh, take a Financial Peace University class. It's really a really good way to um, reshape your mind ar around money. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about get debt. Next, let's talk about giving a little bit more. Earlier we talked about the perspective that the Bible gives us on giving, but I want to talk about how to make giving a part of your lifestyle. The main point here that I want to drive home is decide to, make giving a, decide to give a percentage of your income. Make it percentage-based. For example, a good place to start is to give 10% to the church or, and maybe another 5% to charities or you know, whatever, whatever you set your percentages at. I'm not going to tell you what percents you have to do here. Um, but to do this, you need to adjust your lifestyle to live within, in this example, to live within 85% of your income or less because there's taxes, honestly, so um, less, less than that. But again, this takes lifestyle adjustment, and it can happen, but it will take a lifestyle adjustment. Um, if you're, again, if you're just starting out in life, those kinds of lifestyle adjustments are easier, and then you get used to living on 75% of your income, and it's not as hard to make this change. But later in life, you can still do it as well, but it is harder. Now, okay, because I'm a nerd, you knew I had to fit a graph in here somewhere, right? So. Let me walk you through an example here of what percentage-based giving looks like and, and why there's a benef benefit to it. Let's say this is your income. This is your total income. Um, you want to give some to the church, and you also want to give some to other charities, um, and you don't want to go to jail, so you want to pay your taxes. Um, so this leaves you with a chunk for living expenses. This is the amount that you should consider as your income. Adjust your lifestyle to this amount. Don't look at your paycheck, look at this amount. This is kind of where budgeting comes in handy. If you, if you take out the, the giving percentages first before you uh, deal with how much you have to live on this week or this month, um, that makes it a lot easier. So that is the amount that you have to live on for your living expenses. Now let's say you get a raise or you get a higher paying job. Notice what happens um, uh, when you're in the habit of giving as a percent. Those two giving categories went up. Um, but so did the amount that you have to, to spend on your living expenses. They all went up. It still, fe still feels like a raise to you, but you increased your giving to the charities that you're concerned about, and you also got, a, granted, smaller, but a, an increase to your standard of living. Um, now let's say you get another raise. Um, it's the same story here. All your categories went up. But remember the point that I made earlier that, about, about the widow's might. That it's not about the quantity. It's about your heart. 
So about this time in your life, you may have gotten comfortable with your level of giving, and it's a routine. Um, that's good. Um, it is, um, but it's also kind of bad because it's, is it just another obligation like taxes at this point? Um, so I challenge you to consider increasing your giving percent over time as well. So let's see what happens with that. In this case, when I got this raise, let's say we decided to give an extra 1% to the church and another 1% to these other charities. I've increased my percentage of giving, um, which that actually hampers my lifestyle a little bit here. I didn't, I didn't receive nearly as much in, my, in that pay increase, um, but that was a sacrificial giving. Although even in this example, notice what happens here. My, my, life, my living expenses were still... Uh, I still got a little bit of a raise there. So um, just consider this. The reason I bring this up is to consider this percentage-based giving and increasing your rate of giving over time as a, way to, um, uh, as a way to make this a practical way to, to help your heart, to put your heart where your treasure is. To put your treasure where your heart is. Sorry, that's what I meant. So why is giving important? Remember Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a way to increase your generosity, to put your money where you want your heart to be. This is a concept that Randy Alcorn talks a lot about in The Treasure Principle. Put your money where you want your heart to be. Um, be wise with your wealth and intentionally hedging against lifestyle bloat. But remember, all these reasons we talked about earlier for why we should be generous. Um, all, all the reasons that I mentioned up in the, in the previous sections. Now, I do want to give another caveat here as well. Um, there is a time to receive charity, too. Um, think back to the, f the first few chapters of Acts. The church gave generously, and there was nobody in need in their midst. Now, often we think of the giving side of this, um, and for sure uh, that's true. But for that to be true, that also means that there were people in their midst who were receiving that generosity. And God has designed the church to function this way, and it's a blessing from God. There may come a time in your life when you need to receive the generosity from others. And I challenge you to do so humbly, gratefully, and without guilt or shame. It's a blessing from God through his church, and it's the way he designed his church to work. Um, so keep that in mind as well. Now, there are many other topics to talk about with personal finance. Investing, savings, insurance, retirement, career planning. Not enough time to go into all of that today. I just wanted to pick these three uh, to dive into a little bit deeper. Um, so this year's series um, for our men's meeting is, as we mentioned, based on 1 Timothy, 6, 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. This clearly extends to your financial life. Be wise with your finances. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, who is the ultimate hope and treasure. Thanks. How did you want to do the Q&A section? Just open it up? Okay. Um, I didn't know until last night that this was going to be a part of this, so um, I may defer questions, but I'm happy to offer my opinion. Yeah, so in case you couldn't hear that, the question is, um, is, um, 
is, is it wise to pay off your mortgage early or put that extra savings, or that extra money into savings? Um, there are different, different people that have different views on this. Um, a lot of it can depend on, um, honestly, it can depend on the interest rate and the market at the time. If you have a really good interest rate on your mortgage, um, you might actually be able to get a better return on, on that investment by investing it in the market. Um, if, if you're paying, um, you know, we just came out of an era of having incredibly low uh, mortgage rates. If, you, if you're paying three or 4% on your mortgage um, and you can get a better return than that in the market, you know, the numbers speak to, um, you might be better off investing that. Um, however, I will say um, something that I, that, that I believe firmly is 90% of personal finance is psychological, 10% um, is numbers, and so there is a huge psychological benefit to paying off that debt um, and getting that out from under you. So even, it depends on, on where you're coming from. If you're, if you're of the mentality that I don't want that debt hanging over, just pay it off. You know, the, the numbers, the psychology is more important than the numbers in that case, if, if, that's, if that's your situation. That's true. That is assuming you have some sort of an emergency fund. I, I do hi highly recommend, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I highly recommend first, even before <laughs> anything else, have an emergency fund, like a, a thousand or two thousand dollars just sitting in a savings account that you can pay for an unexpected expense that comes up. Um, that's kind of a buffer so that you're not thrown into an emergency mode um, if an ex unexpected expense comes up. Yeah, Ken? What practices have you seen to try and transfer some of these same principles like to children and as you have family and kids, how does that <laughs> transfer and when and how does that work out for you? I should be asking you this question. I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> I'm past it, brother. <laughs> um, I can tell you what I'm doing with my kids. I, don't, I can't tell you if it's successful yet or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am trying to include my kids in my budgeting. Um, I'm trying to, uh, I, I've noticed, uh, we, we, we made this decision just a few years ago actually. I realized that my kids had no idea of what finances were flowing through the house and stuff was just happening and they had no idea. Um, and I didn't want them by the time they left the house to just think stuff magically appeared. And so we talk about budgeting all the time. Um, they ask on Sundays all the time, can we go out to eat for, for lunch? And I say, well, let's look at our budget. This is how much we have budgeted. We've spent this much this, this month. Yeah, we actually have some left over. Let's go out to eat today. Um, so I include, try to include them in those kind of decisions. Um, I talk to them all the time about the bills that come in as well um, so that they know that this stuff isn't free and uh, that it's a lot more expensive than they think. Um, and I try to bring that up at times when it's not a scolding, like turn off the hot water, <laughs> but just mention like, that th throughout the course of conversation uh, that... Um, things cost money and how it happens. So I, that's what I'm trying to do. I just try to include them in, in standard life. Let, let them know what, about the money that's flowing through our house. Does that answer the question? Any other questions? Oh, you guys are going to let me off easy. <laughs> the, the question is, what budgeting app do I use? Um, this is funnier than you guys think. Um, so I, I've, I've created a budgeting app called NeoBudget, no, neobudget.com, because I'm a programmer. I actually don't use NeoBudget. Um, <laughs> um, it, it's missing some features that I have not had time to add that I want. Um, I'm working on adding them, so I hope soon to go back to, to using NeoBudget. Um, I use YNAB, you need a budget, uh, YNAB.com. Um, there are plenty of good ones out there. Um, and a lot of it depends on your 
your budgeting preferences. Um, there are some, the, the ones that I tend to lean towards are more the, the nerd-focused ones, the ones that let you manage the minutia of it. There are others that take broad strokes um, that are good for that. Uh, Monarch Money is a new one that came out recently that's uh, good for that. It kind of auto-categorizes things and you just kind of make decisions at a broad strokes. You don't worry about if everything was categorized correctly. Um, you just kind of make some broad strokes and it lets you see big picture what you're doing. Um, so that, that could be a helpful one. Um, Dave Ramsey has his own, uh, every dollar I think is what it is. Um, good budget is another one. There's all kinds of them. Um, there's no, no shortage of them. So. Philip. And like, whether our wife is working, yeah. uh, like how many kids we're having, our willingness to travel for work or work on Sundays. Like, how does that, I mean, that Lewis quote was really great. And I'm thinking like, well, am I living the, am I living, is my lifestyle the same as other lawyers who've been out of school 15 years or something? And it's like, well, it's, it's not. Yeah. But it's because I've got five kids and my wife doesn't work, you know? <laughs> um, like, how does, how do those decisions fit into everything you've been talking about? You're talking about how those lifestyle decisions fit into all this, right? Because we're, like we're in, a, in a way like we're kind of playing by different rules yeah. than Dave Ramsey is, yeah. and like the, the world is. Like the budgeting is the same in one way, but it's also just sort of like yeah, we've we've, we've, we've we've already cut ourselves to the bone like, yeah. by conviction, yeah, 15 years ago, right? And now we're just left with I don't know, like the decisions are fewer that we're able to yeah. make. Yeah, so to that I will say, and, and that's why when I was thinking about how to present this today, I, I, I really wanted to talk more about your heart, that the, the Bible speaks to more what, what is in your heart, um, what is your motives behind what you're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to dodge the question of like, specifics because every life in this room is different. And every financial situation in this room is different. Like you mentioned, we've all made different sacrifices over time. We've all gotten to different places over time. And what, how these scriptures apply to you in your personal life is going to be different. The, I think the one thing that applies to all the situations is, is and to keep in mind, is, is kind of the, the main point that I was saying. Like, what you do with your money matters. Make sure that your, uh, your, um, how do I say it without my notes? <laughs> I worded it well in my notes so I didn't have to think on the fly. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, that was a passing thought too. I, that was not an admonition. That was just something that... that passed into my head. Um, so yeah, so for, this is business between you and God. Um, you, you, what, is, what is your heart? Are you convicted that you need to be more generous? Are you convicted that debt is wrong for you? Um, how is God speaking to you in this matter? Um, and if, if, if August is your contribution to the church when you're past, and that is a wonderful contribution, that is excellent. Um. <laughs> yeah, so Kind of a cop-out answer, but. Um. 
Just a quick question. So I've, so I've thought about debt for, for quite a long time, and I think I've, I've started thinking a, a little differently to try to distinguish between good debt and bad debt. So is there a time where it's actually good to take on debt, uh, say in the form of renting capital, mm -hmm. in order to earn more? Yeah. Yeah, it certainly can. And that, that's why I say uh, I don't think it, debt is categorically wrong. You just need to count the costs ahead of time. Um, if, if you're starting a, uh, a business that has a high startup cost, um, if, if I want to start a restaurant, like I can't buy that building out front outright. You know, I might need, and, and all the equipment that I need, I might need to uh, get, go into debt or, or take some loans to do that. Um, and counting the costs, I think I can earn more and pay that off and then be in a good spot. So debt, like I said, can be a good tool to use in those circumstances. Um, the warnings are more for um, don't go into debt without counting the costs. Um, make sure, like, it's so easy to swipe a credit card and um, that adds up, that, that's, that was my 20s. Um, I, I, I lived on my credit card when I was in high school, or sorry, when I was in grad school and I thought, well, I'll just pay it off when I'm done. And when I started looking at how much I was racking up, I was like, this is a lot, like this is, there's a lot here and I'm paying a lot of interest on this. Um, and so it, it can happen very quickly. And that's, that's more what I'm talking about is just make sure you count the cost before you go into debt. Stephen? So yeah, I just had a thought. Um, I just feel convicted to, to share this, that this church is unique in that, um, you know, I've been to a lot of churches over the years and I've been in both sides of the circumstance of growing up in poverty and you know, kind of next to the income housing projects and all this other stuff. Um, versus like later in life, I'm like becoming not the hypocrite that I always, uh, saw, but like I'm in a situation where I have to be very cautious. And I'm going to just give a word of caution to the church of sometimes we have this unexpected peer pressure that we put on others, right? And it's weird because I'm in a circumstance where now I can afford a lot of things I couldn't afford, and I have to now scratch my head and second guess, like, can I afford those things? Yeah. And the reason why I'm having to ask those questions, though, is because I now I'm feeling a lot of peer pressure because of just the lifestyles of many people around us in the church. This church is a very wealthy church, just mm -hmm. be completely blunt. Um, and so when you, like, you have someone over and you're like, oh, we're going to have a potluck, everybody bring X, Y, Z. Like, even like what you bring could put peer pressure or even saying everyone needs to bring something. Yeah. It's almost like, oh, I can't be a part of that group anymore because we can't afford yeah. to pay for this wonderful meal to share with everybody. So I, I, like, I don't know the answers to it, but like, I just put that word of caution because a lot of discussions I have, even with my wife, is on the financial side of like, oh, but everyone does CC. And I'm like, yeah, but we have six kids. You multiply the cost. And, like, and then I go into like, how did we get here? It's because our lifestyle was... We were in a two-bedroom apartment. We had four kids, 800 square feet, and we were having people over, and I want to still keep having people over right. uh, in those circumstances. And the reason why we have a big house is because I still want to have people over, but I don't want to use my house where people come over and thinking, oh, this is like, you know, us, you know he's at this lifestyle, so i got to bring fancy stuff over. So right. just keep in mind, like, as you get to a place of wealth or whatever, make sure you're looking into other people um, and look at their lifestyle of situational, and please use caution on how you use your wealth so that peer pressure doesn't creep in, and be very explicit. Like, when people come over, we're very generous, but I honestly, like, I stop inviting certain people to the house if they start feeling like they have to give us stuff. Like, <laughs> just fair warning. I really had people <laughs> over because the Bible says, like, give to those you know you can't give back, 
in the same way. I will purposely like downgrade my house if it becomes a problem. So like that's where I have to keep myself in check. So just a word of warning to like the church in, in, in that area that as we talk about finances, everyone's going to be at a different season of life. Share your story of like, I love your story, Luke. I like lifestyle like that is convicting to me and I have to remind myself. But just keep, keep that in check because we very much from the outside have an image that could put people into a weird position. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I, I want to come a little bit differently. Um, I'm, I'm 74 years old, and I, I look at money in a little bit different. Yeah. I look at if you're investing money or you're saving money, you know, we're debt-free. Um, but I'm looking, and, and, and this is where Jesus talks about the uh, shrewd money manager. And he, he actually praises him in how he, he, he it was dishonest, but at least he was thinking. Right, yeah. We need to be thinking about a lot of different things. Now, yeah. again, I'm 74, and, in, and, and for me right now, it's I can't make 10% on my money guaranteed, but I can save 24% of my money mm -hmm. on taxes. Mm -hmm. See, that's that end of it that yeah. we a lot of times we need to think about. Yeah. If we're getting a job, what kind of benefits are we getting? Mm -hmm. Not just how much are we getting an hour or how much are we getting a year, that type of a thing. We have to think outside the box. Yeah. And I think a lot of people outside of the church family are very, very good at that. Their motives may not be good. Our <laughs> motives need to be uh, on, on Christ, on, on what he, he want, his will is for our life. Yeah. It's like giving. If we give to charities, if we give to the church, I don't know if the kids realize this, but as we're making money, we, and if we're making enough deductions, we're able to deduct that from our taxes and we're paying less in taxes, mm -hmm. which can be a lot more than what we're actually making in our savings accounts. So that brings up an interesting point, actually. I forgot that I wanted to mention this, too. In, in the past, I've, I've taught a class for uh, high school students. Um, I, I title it, Everything I Wish I Learned About Money Before I Moved Out of My Parents' House. Um, you know, something easy to say. Um, it's, it's a four-night class. My, my wife and I teach it in our home. We invite over, and I'd be happy to do that again if there's ever uh, anybody that wants to do it. Um, just let me know. We can get some groups together. It's usually better in small groups, like eight to ten people at a time, but I'd be happy to do that again if anybody would want it. But I go and over I, things like that with taxes and stuff. And I, and I have to say, I'm not saying cheat on your taxes. I'm saying give, be wise as, as Jesus yeah. said, give, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but yeah. give to God what is God's. Yeah. So, but within the tax laws, yep, you, can you be know, wise with it. Yep. there is good provisions for those who give. Yeah. Thank you. So. It's a good reminder. John, did you have a question? Yeah, so like when one of your kids says, Daddy, can we go out to eat? And you pull out the software and show her, mm. what are your go-to alternatives to stay within that budget? To have fun? <laughs> I mean, what kind of free stuff? What kind of like, I know you guys are a gaming family, but stuff like that. What What are some ideas where, you know, like we don't want to just go, go lock ourselves in a cell because yeah. we don't have money. <laughs> And just wait for Jesus to come back. Yeah. Like what? So, so what do we do? It's it's, it's a very good question. Um, so, 
honestly, one, one of our favorite pastimes is hiking. So as a family, we, we go hiking and go for walks all the time. Um, my, my wife loves it. She, she's great at organizing it. You, you guys have probably seen her organize hikes for, for the church before. So we, we go hiking all the time. Um, that's cheap. It's a great, uh, even camping is a cheap weekend trip. Um, sometimes we'll just do, like, we just need to get out of the house. It's beautiful weather. Let's go camping this weekend, and we'll just go Friday night and, and camp. Um, so it's a, it's a cheap way, something that we do to, to do that. Uh, to answer my kids on Sunday when they want to go out to eat, um, I usually don't have a good answer, which is why, which is why they want to go, <laughs> go out to eat. It's usually, let's just do grilled cheese and grin and bear it. So, yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Let's I think for the recording. So you haven't talked much about uh, retirement, and obviously we, we trust God, right? Mm-hmm. But we're also trying to be good stewards, and so um, you know, there's obviously these are all part of the heart, right? But I guess is there part of retirement that is loving towards your kids to say, "Hey, I'm being intentional." Yeah. about my, what I'm giving charitably, but also, like, to take care of your mom and I or whatever yeah. so that you guys aren't, not that you communicate this, but, like, that's something that I feel like can get lost. In, yeah. Or it wasn't really something you touched on. I'd love to yeah. know how you think about that within that kind of panorama of, of yeah. I mean, there four were, categories. There were a lot of topics that I didn't touch on. Um, I, I only did a brief introduction to three um, retirement is one of those that, yeah, uh, your perspective on retirement is, is, is good. Um, I like to use the example of, of my grandfather. He's currently 102. Um, he's an amazing man, um, great godly, godly man, um, and he's, he's still going. Um, but he had the forethought um, to uh, save for retirement, and he even chose the, the place that he wanted to be cared for uh, himself so that my parents didn't have to make that decision. Um, and he let them know ahead of time, like, you know, when the time comes, I, this is a place that I, I love these people. This is, he actually did ministry there before he even lived there. Um, and so he's like, this is, this is where I want to be. And so he saved up to make it happen. And my parents, you know, felt no guilt about it and felt no financial obligation about it. It was a wonderful gift that he gave to my, to my parents um, because he planned well for his, his retirement, um, both planned and communicated well his retirement. So um, it, it's a good example of, of that. Um, and I highly recommend it for, for all of you, even, even the younger kids, you know, you're thinking of retire, saving for retirement. Like now is a great time to start saving for retirement. Compound interest is a, like a magical concept. Was it um, Albert Einstein said something about like what's one of the most powerful forces in the universe is compound interest. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I won't go into the, the details of that here, but, um, uh, but yeah, recommend, highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, more about budgeting, I guess. So, you know, I'm trying to figure that all out. Recently married and, and everything. I uh, yeah. got a little more serious with that. <laughs> um, so It tends to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll just uh, kind of try to quantify it. Um, so there's things that kind of pop up that seem important that like, oh yeah, we got to spend the money on this. I guess the question would be like how, when is it okay to kind of like, like go up past the budget and, uh, or when is it, or should you just like try your very hardest to stick with that all the time? Yeah. Uh, and you know, if something pops up, that's like, oh, this is important for like right now, it, or at least it seems like it is. 
Um, do you just say, no, we're going to wait till next month or whatever? Yeah. And how do you great, do that? Great question. Um, so there, there's a couple of ways to think about that. Um, the, the main thing to think, a, a budget is just a plan. It's not something that's set in stone. Um, a budget, it's perfectly fine to change it. Uh, life circumstances change. Um, things happen. Um, don't stick so strict to your budget that um, you're causing harm. Uh, that can happen. Um, you know, if an opportunity presents itself um, and, you know, you can save $1,000 by doing something today rather than doing it next month, but your budget doesn't afford it, I mean, if you have the money, do it because you're going to save yourself. I mean, that's just common sense kind of a thing. Um, but I will say the budget is there for a reason. It's guardrails um, because our, our hearts can be deceptive and you can, I know this from my own experience, I can justify any purchase that I want. Like I can come up with a hundred good reasons for anything, like why this is financially wise, why this is, uh, follows biblical principles, anything that I want to buy, I can justify it. Um, and so a budget is kind of there as guardrails, uh, like, is it though? <laughs> like, can I afford it? <laughs> like, is, is it really something that I need? So don't just throw the budget to the wind as, as soon as something comes up, but use it as, as, as a guide to um, kind of a, a check. Uh, uh, do I need this thing? Um, and if so, yeah, break the budget. That's, that's fine. But you're going to pay the consequences of that as well. That means next month is going to be a little bit harder. You know, don't, don't, um, don't negate that cost. It's kind of the, the same cost of, of going into debt. Like you're, there's a future cost of what you're doing. Um, but um, that can be perfectly fine. Just be wise about it and count the cost ahead of time. Yeah. You have some flex room in there. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get in the habit of doing that, though. Uh, I, I've actually done that before. I, I, for a couple of months, there was something that I needed, so I, I decreased my savings, and then I forgot to turn it back on because <laughs> I had the automatic renewal thing. And like, oh, man, for the past six months, I haven't been putting this into savings and didn't realize it. So uh, don't make a habit of that. But, yeah. Let's, let's thank Luke for... And it, it, if you have a question and we didn't get to it, I'm sure Luke will be glad to answer it afterwards. Luke, that was great. That was full of uh, wisdom and was prudent. It was practical, but also dealt with our heart. And that was, seemed to be a main theme. In fact, Joe opened up, us up in prayer, not even knowing that, and mentioned um, our hearts. And so, you know, watching over our hearts, that's like a full-time job, right? That does, doesn't stop. It never stops. And so I want to encourage you with two things to think about. One, how do we do that? Well, take some time, go over your notes, either the notes you took or the handout, and let God examine your heart, right? Let him exhort you. Let him convict you. Um, let him encourage you. You know, maybe you are a generous person, and just going through that, you'll be encouraged to be more generous. Um, and, and then secondly, talk to people. You know, you know, the women in our church, I think, they're much better at, at the men in terms of biblical fellowship, right? Do you ever notice that? Like, the women will start talking, and like, in two minutes, they're talking about something meaningful. And we're guys, you know, we'll talk like a half hour about sports or computers, right? Um, so what I want to encourage you to do is, you know, 
either talk about these things in your home group or when you're with somebody on Sunday to say, hey, what did you learn at the, the, uh, from Luke's teaching? What, where did that really connect with you? And draw that person out and draw one another out. So, guys, again, thank you for coming out this morning. Um, take some donuts and uh, go and have good fellowship uh, today, and we'll see you tomorrow.